Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is the Tech Educator Podcast, episode 180. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, and wherever your podcast is every single Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Tonight, we're talking all about video, how to use video in your classroom. If you're a tech coach, how to help your teachers use video in your classroom. And we've got some great news from our friends at Adobe that we can't wait to share with you guys. Speaking of Adobe, I want to bring on Dr. Sam Patterson. Sam, how are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great, Jeff. Thank you so much for being here today. How are things out in California? Things in California are sunny. They're warm. There's a little wind today. Um, yeah, very much unlike the other parts of the country. It certainly was weird today waking up with uh, a little bit of snow on the ground. Of course, it is April and the you know coming into May and we had some snow, but but that's okay. The one thing that I noticed today was a lot of people were bringing out their video cameras and doing some strange things in the classroom today. And I'm looking forward to sharing some stories. You're not uh, one that's shy of using video. You've been doing a lot of screencasting with your puppets recently, haven't you? I love creating video for my classrooms and the puppets will often star in those because the kids will listen to the puppets longer than they'll listen to me. I, I certainly can hear that. And I'm also looking forward to hearing some of the ways that you're using puppets to help uh, bypass some of maybe the shyness or help bypass some of the ways that, you know, if a kid doesn't want to be on camera, how can puppets and video be merged in the classroom for that. But before we get to those stories from Massachusetts, I want to bring on Jennifer Judkins. Jen, how are you today? Great. Good to see you guys. I'm doing well. Thank you so much here for being here today. Now, talk to us a little bit about some of the things that have been happening over on your fantastic network, teachingforward.net. Uh, well, I just shared out a post on a common question and problem I get. It's probably a good time of year for it, too, about recycling and reusing Google Forms. I find that people uh, want to reuse things, maybe clean them up at the end of the school year so they're ready to go for next year for um, assessments or collecting information about their class and stuff. So that is the latest information I just shared out. That is certainly a good tip. Uh, it's one of those things that I've been working on with my own teachers of not only how to recycle and reuse, but also some of those advanced features, right? Like many people know how to make a form and that's all great. But then what do you do with all that data? So there's a lot of neat things that have been going on with Google Forms, Google Sites, Google everything. Today, we're going to be talking about video. And uh, of course, there's a lot of different ways that we can use video in the classroom. Jen, when you're working with your teachers, how do you bring up the topic of video using video, or even recording yourself on video? Well, I think that um, teachers are intimidated by video usually because they it feels very time-consuming and overwhelming. And I think that um, when it comes to technology projects, it's really important for teachers to understand that many, many projects, including video projects, can be really quick um, and, and are really successful without a lot of uh, learning curve and also a lot of class time. So I think we'll be able to share some examples today in our show about those kinds of video projects, not really long things that involve complex tools that, uh, you know, have a steep learning curve and where kids can kind of 
go down the rabbit hole of playing around with the music they want to overlay and the transitions, mm -hmm. um, because that can just really become a time sink in the classroom. So let's take a look here at some of the things, you know, we always talk about what is the role for video? Why should we have it? Quite often when I'm working with teachers, it's always, would you like to make a screencast? Can we make a video? Can we do, and they're always, why? Why do I want to do this? Is it going to take a long time? So Sam, when you're talking about the role of video serving as an instructional tool, tool. Um, how do you handle that one? What, what, in what ways can video be an instructional tool? Um, are you asking me to summarize the role of television in American society since 1954? In about 15 seconds or less, please. Right? Like video is the most powerful literacy our students interact with every day. When I talk to teachers about video, I say, where do you get the most nervous when your students go? And they say, YouTube. And I say, exactly. And, and it's because there's so much that the students value so highly in YouTube. So honestly, if you're a teacher and you want to get more bang out of your buck, go to where the students are already assigning value. Be in the video. Be a creator of video. Be competent in the literacy they value most and help them develop that same competence. I completely agree with that. I just last week did a three hour class on YouTube in the classroom. And, and you're right. Most school districts, teachers think YouTube is bad. It, there's a lot of negative to that. You can get in that YouTube loop. What I've done is I've kind of turned that frown upside down and said, look, if you're going to focus on creating a YouTube channel and you're going to make your YouTube homepage and you're going to make playlists for your different chapters, Forget that. Take all those little video inserts and you know, playlists and whatever. Put that on a Google site, right? Because if you go to a Google site, you can put your curriculum around that. And you can literally make your own YouTube homepage using Google sites, but you don't get your kids a lost. A video-rich portal. Right. Exactly. And you don't, you don't get lost in that YouTube loop that we all do. And... Now, Jeff, it's possible, right, to set up those YouTube embeds so you don't get the suggested... 12 videos at the end, isn't it? Well, yes. There's two ways, of course, to bring video into sites. You can take the embed, you know, you, you can just take the URL up on top and embed that directly into your site. And it's nice. But you're right. At the end of that, it does still have those, you know, Brady Bunches, all, all your boxes. The only way to completely take away those um, things is by using the, you know, share, and then it says embed code underneath, and then you can double check off everything. Now, the downside to something like that is that when you do that, you are specifically embedding your YouTube video on a certain size. So it's not responsive. There's, there's some things that are good and bad about that, but you can completely take that stuff away. Um, I personally am less interested in those boxes at the end because Sometimes kids don't get to the end of the videos, but I also share, you know, put your video in, let's say, a Google slide, and then you mm -hmm. can say, well, only play from minute one to minute three. Um, but there's a lot of different things that we can do without directly sending kids to YouTube. And again, that's one of the reasons why I always recommend make a Google site rather than putting a YouTube link into Google Classroom. 
Because if you put a YouTube link into Google Classroom, it takes you into the YouTube loop and you've lost your kids before you forgot. Jen, what and you, you can always oh, just put those videos directly in Google Drive because the Google Drive video embeds in Google Sites are just as good as the YouTube ones these days. If you're using a video that you've created, I right. highly recommend doing it that way. There, there, you know, teachers these days do not need to put videos that they make on YouTube Unfortunately, except if they want to use that video directly into a Google form. Really? Yes. Okay. So that's fine. So, uh, okay. Quick, quick tangent for anybody who is driving. There's two main, and please Google. There's two main issues with Google and video right now. Number one is if you're using Google Forms, you can embed a video from YouTube, but not from Drive. Got it. The other thing is in Google Slides. There is insert photo, but you can't go insert video and then pull your videos that are inside of Google Photos. But you can, but you can, I will be in defense of Google for two seconds. You can, however, now insert from Google Drive your video. So if you insert video, you can now do that. And that's recent, so it gives me hope that they will add that feature to Google Forms. I'm hoping too, because I'm telling all my teachers to put all of their video in photos because then you can make an album out of it. And I, I've been very big uh-huh. on make an album, embed the album. And also but because they're, I, they're separating that out from drive. So I think that's why from drive. And also when, yep. I, when I teach photos, I teach it from the personal side, not the school side. Cause personal, you know, we have 15 gigs of, of Google drive. And if you put a video up there, then that eats away. So I tell everybody, you know, I, like my wife and I have over 135,000 pictures and videos of the kids. I know there's three of them, but but we put everything into photos because at least for now it's free and unlimited as opposed to putting all that video into Drive and you're deducting from, you know. So I teach all my teachers, use photos, use photos, use photos. But then, of course, you can't use the video in photos in Google Slides. Okay, rant over. The next thing we're going to look at here, so we talked about instructional tools. When I say the term self-paced learning devices, Jen, what does that mean to you? Self-paced learning. So I've been diving into the concept of blended and personalized learning. So when I hear you say self-paced learning, I think about um, how technology can really help students to learn at their own pace um, in, in, and a lot of that involves the use of multimedia resources. And another aspect of that is students demonstrating their learning in different ways. Um, and again, I feel like multimedia, particularly video, is just a fantastic tool for that kind of um, task when students are demonstrating their learning in a, in a personalized way where they can choose how they're going to show what they know. Sam, are you using video for anything self-paced? I mean, I know you do all your maker stuff. You do your sewing. I mean, are you showing videos on how, whether you make them or other people make them? Oh, yeah. Uh, Like when we wanted to do a paper circuits project with uh, greeting cards, I linked to four different videos about creating a greeting card with paper circuits. One of them was in Japanese, which really threw my kids. I'm like, just turn the sound down and watch the pictures. Come on, they're showing you how to do it. And I'm like, I do it all the time. I don't speak Japanese. No, but they're, they're, they make a good video. It's fine. And they're like, but I don't know the language. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, but I ended up changing that one out. Uh, but I'll build a Google site 
that has those resources embedded. And basically, I give the students several sources of information that aren't me so they can work through it at the pace they need. And they, if they ask me a question, I ask them, have you watched each of the videos? Have you read the pamphlet, et cetera, whatever the resource is? Because sometimes I'll give them like like a trifold brochure about it that's got the steps outlined in broad sweeps. But I do as much as possible using video or documents, some created by me, some created by other people, to put that information outside of myself. Because in my makerspace, I'm often tied up with manual tasks like thread the sewing machine. <laughs> and I need the kids to be able to figure out the bigger picture stuff on their own. Well, the next thing on our list here after instructional tool and self-paced learning device is flipped classroom activity. Now let's kind of define this before we discuss it here. When you're saying self-paced learning, is that the same thing as flipped classroom activity or are they kind of the same? Do they diverge a little bit? What do you guys think? Um, well, I, I'll start with, I, th I think of flipped learning as being uh, the concept of teachers changing how they assign homework so that the uh, homework assignment essentially substitutes which, with what would formerly have previously been like lecture so that time in class can be focused on application, collaboration, uh, creation of projects, those kinds of things. So I don't think of those as the same thing. I think that um, when students are, when it's self-paced, then in my mind that's normally happening in the classroom at like station rotation model. There are, there are different, um, you know, a few different blended learning models um, that where that can happen, but um, I think station rotation is probably the one that teachers are most familiar with. Um, but, but to me, that happens in a classroom. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I think that flipped classroom is definitely, it's a set of strategies, tools, and practices tied to a, a particular philosophical stance. And that philosophical stance is that homework isn't done independently, but information is gained independently. Um, I much prefer to not mess with my students' home lives at all. And we just do the work we do in the room. But in order for that to work, I need us all to be able to be doing something slightly different at the same time. So I'm using some of the tools that traditionally are used in flip class instruction, but I'm using them with the knowledge that there's knowledgeable adults in the same room as the student who's doing the self-paced work. So I don't have to like that. That web page doesn't have to be everything to the student. It just needs to be the primary portal. And as a doctor of literacy education, I find that that moment when the student needs to interact with that text to gain the information in order to work forward in the project is one of the most genuine literacy moments I've had privilege to teach. So let's go for the last one here. And this certainly isn't the only other way of using video, but project-based learning, right? Three words that have become uh, buzzy recently. Lots of great literature and blog posts and books and stuff out there on project-based learning. But I I'm going to define it for the sake of this conversation of instead of writing a paper, student makes video, right? Now, project-based learning can be a thousand different things, but let's just say student is using it to demonstrate knowledge on a topic. Sam, with all of your makerspace stuff, how much do you ask your kids, and I know you do the primary grades, but how much do you ask your kids to document or to demonstrate on video or go home and sew 
or take a movie of them cooking something? Like, how do you ask the kids to make video for the sake of demonstrating their knowledge? We do it all the time, and I usually do it in a very scaffolded approach. I will start with a series of Google Slides that prompt them to think about certain steps in their process and attach evidence of it. So they'll have an opportunity to embed a picture or a video of what they chose to do. The next slide will ask them to make some comments on their process and they can include video on that if they want. And then they make kind of a summative video using those slides as their main point, sometimes as their background. But they, um, I need them to kind of report out in that way independently because we are all doing different things at different times. And some projects take very little time and some projects take a lot of time. So I really focus on getting them to understand that the video they're making is a communication tool that helps everyone understand what they're doing. Um, and I'll give them that scaffold. I'll give them a time limit because I don't want videos that are longer than about a minute and a half. And I don't want videos that aren't organized because one of the biggest problems I've had with video is when I haven't been really intentional about what I ask for, I end up with a lot of video that I don't possibly have time or even use for watching. And then why did I ask the kids to make it if it's not an important document between us? Well, then that brings up the question of is video and using video with projects, is that effective? Jen, what do you think? I mean, is video just another thing? Is it the fad of the decade? Is it actually an effective teaching tool where you can literally say the kid learned something and here's how they did it? I think, you know, when we when we talk about making learning visible, we, we don't, you know, we're, we're talking about you know, giving student voice, giving students an opportunity to use their own words to explain their thinking and, and what they've learned. But also, I think that a lot of times there's a there's an added benefit to some sort of visual component to that. Um, and whether that be something as simple as students writing out, you know, their math problem and explaining their process, you know, more of a screencast type of video, or showing images that, that help to support their um, the topic and, and show that. And again, I, I think about you know, the applicability to that in the world that they're going to enter, right? And the jobs that they're going to have that, that the importance of communication can't be overstated no matter what job a student goes into. And a big part of that communication is that ability to verbally communicate. So what I love is students, when they make videos, I find that they keep doing them over and over again till they're happy with with the way that the video comes out with how they sound and that's a, a fluency practice that's really helping them to work on their presentation skills and uh, you know you're, you're you're gaining something there with the tone and with the visuals and so I do think that it adds value and that being said I don't think every the question we ask students can be answered in a video. For example, I think there's kind of a, a little bit of an overuse right now of tools like Flipgrid, like, oh my gosh, let's do a Flipgrid for that. And I, I think that we have to be aware of students getting tired of the same way that we ask them to explain themselves or show their knowledge. So I think like any really fun um, technology infused project, we have to keep it uh, you know, keep some variety going there, um, you know, so that we're not turning to video for everything. But I, I think it is very powerful for a number of reasons that, that are the kinds of skills and um, that we want students to be practicing and, and becoming more skilled in in our classrooms. 
And we need to be ready to help kids make videos that people want to watch. Because if people actually want to watch the videos that the kids are making, they won't get tired of it because it'll be a genuine piece of communication. But if you're using video in your classroom the same way, you know, I used to use answer the three questions at the end of the chapter and hand them in to me and I'll check off that you did it. I didn't read every word of every kid's question. If you're not watching those videos, if you're not using them intentionally, then the kids are going to get tired of it because it's, um, what's the polite phrase? Bullcrap that's just wasting their time and they know it. And and I think that goes to the audience piece, Sam. I think that's a really important point. You were talking earlier in the show about, you know, the ability to put videos in a place like Google um, Slides or in something like, um, you know, a website. And I think that, you know, when you're when you're creating a product that can then be shared with other people as, you know, gee, we're researching the 13 colonies and, you know, and let's let's take a look at, you know, we'll assign different groups of class, different topics there, and then the whole class can then learn from those videos, and there might be, you know, an additional um, piece that the students complete as, as, a, as a result of them using one another's videos to help gain additional knowledge. And so, you know, creating that, thinking about the audience in advance is a really important aspect of any, any project, in particular any video project. So how and do we, go ahead. You know, that, that's the foundation of the study of rhetoric. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the question that I always get caught in is how do we set things up, right? Like, Sam, do you just say, okay, go make a video? Do you put everything on a Google Doc or a slide or do you, on a web? Like, I, right. I have gotten to the point where I ask for exactly what I want because I know they're going to have their own fun in it no matter what. I try to give them four, maybe five slides that ask them one or two questions each. And there'll be like three questions on the slide and I'll ask them to answer one or two of them. Um, The slides will ask them to place evidence there of pictures, etc. So if they want to, they can just do a quick screencast when they're done and they never have to put their face in it. Or they could do something complex and export those and use them as a background in a green screen video if they want to do that. But I'm really looking for like and I tell them, you're going to go, you're going through it once, you know, just you're communicating with mostly me. This doesn't have to be perfect. This isn't going to go viral. This is just a piece of communication with me. And if we decide this is something we want to work up for a bigger audience, great, but we're going to make some different decisions, right? If we're trying to make this up for a bigger audience, my background may not look like that. But, um, you know, those are all things that you, that kids need help learning and understanding. So this is Tech Educator Podcast, episode 180, and I think what we're going to do, Sam, is I'm going to ask you if you could be awesome and maybe share one or two of those Google slides in our show notes, and that way anybody that goes over to techeducatorpodcast.com, you can, of course, hit all the subscribe buttons up on top, but also check out show 180. Uh, Sam, would you be comfortable doing that? Yeah, I'll put a, a template that I use for the activity that I call Doc and Share in the show notes. That's awesome. Um, I know I'll be using that next week, so thank you for that. Uh, Jen, how do you set up directions, or how do you work with your teachers to set up directions for these types of activities? Um, I, I tend to use more of a checklist format. Um, if there are certain vocabulary words we want to make sure students include or um, you know, if we want to have the video include certain components in a particular order, I just 
you know, you want to be careful not to over instruct and and give too much information. But certainly, if you have in your mind uh, particular components that you're looking for, um, usually I find that a checklist is adequate for kids to just give them, uh, you know, some guidance. Um, the storyboarding process is really important to me in the video, you know, in the creation of videos. So, um, you know, what I mean by that is just, just um, allowing students that planning time, which is so much more important than sort of like opening the tool and starting to create the video immediately. So really um, just simply like graphic organizers, I have some templates I can add to the show notes um, as examples, but um, just giving kids honestly just paper and a pen to to kind of do that together with their with their partner if they're working in groups and before the technology is even brought into the process to really have them think and plan what is the visual that will go with this what are the words that I'm going to say um, and that way when they have the technology in front of them they're very focused and they know what they're going to do with it and then their minds are focused on just putting together and making their idea come to life. I love those directions about keeping things focused and absolutely for their kids. I mean, uh, the way that I work with directions and uh, when I'm planning projects like this is I'll make one large Google doc that has directions for every single component. And that's for them, but that's also for me. I just have one big, huge master doc. And then, you know, I take the video directions and I put that on a video slide deck or, you know, I I then double the directions out. It might be a little complex, but I feel like if you're going to give a kids a template, like a slides template with the directions, put them there. I put, you know, the more places that you can help the kids out, I think that's better. We're going to take a quick break here. Of course, we're talking all about ways that we can be using video and how to create video in our classrooms. When we come back on the flip side of this, we're going to be talking about different apps for creating video. Um, we're going to certainly make sure everything is in our show notes here. We're also going to be talking about how can we as tech coaches work with our teachers to convince them that this is the best way to do it. We'll be right back after our message from our friends at the Principal Center. If you're seeking a new educational leadership role, it's essential to start practicing for interviews now. Most candidates for principal or assistant principal job openings wait to start practicing until they get the call, which honestly is too late. You have the opportunity to get an edge by starting to prepare now, before you have an interview on the calendar. I'm Justin Bader, director of the Principal Center, and I've created a free PDF of 52 practice interview questions. Download them now at principalcenter.com questions. 